Welcome to the Field Goals Podcast. I'm Brandon Schultz, and free agency has begun. We are more than a day into it and still waiting for some news on Jadevian Clowney, the, the Seahawks' biggest target of the offseason. But lots to talk about as the Seahawks have loaded up on offensive linemen. Joining me to talk about it, Mookie Alexander, managing editor of Field Goals. Mookie, it's uh, it's been an exciting start to free agency after a pretty slow couple of days, but now we can see that the Seahawks are really trying to build within the trenches, especially focusing on the offensive line. Yeah, and this crazy and, and troubling times we're having in this world right now, it's almost like a relief to have some sort of, of NFL news to talk about. Um, and yeah, the Seahawks have been busy with the offensive line, and hopefully that'll quiet some people who say, you know, the Seahawks never put any investment into the offensive line. That they have over the years. It's just historically they've not been very good at it. <laughs> right. I'm, hope, I'm hoping that this year is an exception. It's, uh, I mean, it's it's not the type of big names like you, you know, a lot of people interested in going after Jack Conklin, Brian Bulaga. But when you look back historically at what the Seahawks tend to do in free agency, you know, they tend to wait or they go out and try and find guys who are, you know, value type picks, not necessarily going for those big names unless they're trying to re-sign their own guys. And uh, earlier this week, we heard about Jaron Reed coming back and uh, and we saw a couple of players go that you know, I don't think fans would have really liked to see at those particular numbers. And I'm thinking of George Fant, uh, three years, $30 million going to the Jets. So we're definitely seeing players that are lower value, but you know, out of these guys, Brandon Shell, the tackle from the Jets, B.J. Finney, the guard from Pittsburgh, he also played some center, and uh, Cedric Abuehi from Jacksonville. You know, what are what are some of these guys? Uh, who do you look at, and and do you see uh, one guy as you know the the potential starter of the group uh, among uh, these three? Well, Ogbuehi, uh I think is just going to be competing for a roster spot. I mean, he could be a swing tackle option because at his, his time in Cincinnati was just not good. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was a healthy scratch for much of 2018, and then he went to Jacksonville and only had uh, you know a sporadic play on the, on the offensive line and then also had some special team snaps. So, oh boy, he, if he is ever anywhere near the starting lineup for the Seahawks and something horribly wrong has, has happened. Um, but for Shell, he looks to be the logical replacement for Effetti because I'm not expecting Jermaine Effetti to resign. And we still don't know where Effetti's going just yet, uh, at least as we're recording this. But he probably should command a, a heavier price tag than than uh, than George Fant got at $10 million a year. It's kind of crazy, though, that Effetti might get a heavier contract than Brian Balaga, who's much more uh, accomplished and well-respected than Effetti. But it, it, looking at BJ Finney and having no idea who he was until we, we actually heard news of him getting signed, there was some uh, film... Uh, by, um, I think it was Tony Blakely who, who tweeted it out. And looking at some of the film, he looks better at guard than center, and he's got nice upper body strength. So, you know, the, the guard depth is, is pretty important, knowing that Iopati is also a free agent. And then the fact that he can play center uh, is fairly important, knowing that Justin Britt is likely going to be a cap casualty. And as much as I like Joey Hunt and all that he's done for the team, he is way too small to be playing center for a full 16-game season, and now soon to be full 17-game season. So, I think that we will see Finney, ex- uh, you know, expected to start, and he's got that versatility, kind of in the same way that Ethan Posick has got that versatility, play guard and center. And then Brandon Shell, right tackle. Uh, you know, it's hard to really properly grade offensive line play, so Jets fans seem to not like him, but Jets fans don't seem to like anybody at this point. <laughs> Some of the stats suggest that 
uh, Shell has actually been pretty good, especially with his pass block win rate without having the, the double team help that Efedi has had uh, over the years. So we'll see how that goes. So the offensive line could look significantly different in 2020, but two of these three signings I definitely see being favorites to start, whereas Ogbawehi, um, he's just not got the, the history to suggest he's going to be anything beyond pure depth or just cut outright by the time preseason rolls around. The thing that jumped out at me with regard to Shell was looking at his penalty numbers. That was the first thing I went to when I saw that he played right tackle. And I thought, okay, here might be our Fetty replacement. And even when you average out, yeah, because he didn't have as many snaps as a Fetty over his first four years of his career. But even when you bump it up, because he has pretty much been a full-time starter over these last three years. And in those last three years, 13 penalties, uh, which is exactly the amount that Effetti uh, had just last season. And that's a pretty significant difference. Yeah, it is. And look, you know, even a lot of the, the better offensive linemen in the league could get penalized quite a bit. I think Laramie Tunsil is, is widely regarded as one of the, the better tackles in the league. And he, I'm pretty sure he led the league in penalties. But if you're going to have a lot of penalties, you better be playing at nearly an all-pro level. And Effetti most certainly wasn't. So yeah. Shell is both going to be cheaper than Effetti. And if he's going to have fewer penalties and that will continue into his time with the Seahawks, then uh, as long as he can basically be a little bit better than a Fetty or like an effective replacement while being much cheaper as opposed to paying north of $10 million a year, this could actually work out quite well. And, you know, the, the other thing with Shell is that I think is another sign that they really don't want to deal with Jamarco Jones' tackle. Yeah. And I, I agree. Whether left tackle, right tackle, he just doesn't have the athleticism to play there. Maybe you can try him out at guard. But Jamarco is probably going to be one of those dudes who's also competing for a roster spot himself. So, yeah, the, the Shell signing actually intrigues me more because of the, the revolving door that has been the Seahawks at right tackle pre Fetty. You know, we had Sean Lockler for, for several years in the Holmgren era. And then after that, it was, you know, Gilliam and um, Giacomini and, and other guys who were inconsistent at best. So Fetty has just been the dude we've loved to hate for the longest while because of his struggles and the penalties. But... Uh, there's hope for Brandon Shell. Plus, he's got the, he's got the lineage. He's the great nephew of Art Shell. That's right. That's got to count for something. We hope. We 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 sure hope so. And I'm still not convinced that Justin Britt is going to be a cap casualty because yes, uh, Finney has the ability to play center. Uh, you also have Posick who has the ability to play center. But I I just I wonder based on what we saw from Posick this last season if. If the Seahawks are willing to necessarily keep Posick and if Finney could be the Posick replacement as opposed to Posick being Justin Britt's replacement. Yeah, that, that, that is a possibility, too, especially since Posick has got his, his significant uh, history with injuries mm-hmm. and just even getting on the field in the first place. He doesn't seem like he's a fit for Solari's scheme. So it's not on the realm of the possibility that they keep Britt and then send Posick away, although, uh, you know, the cap situation again, is going to play a factor there. But sure. schematically, if Posick isn't a fit, then they're probably not going to keep him much longer. I, I've been holding out hope for Posick. He actually didn't look too bad when he did play this year, but you, you got to stay healthy. And unfortunately, he didn't. And then they took him off IR, and then he put, got placed back into injured reserve like shortly thereafter. Uh, to my knowledge, Finney doesn't have any sort of injury history that, that we know of, so the durability is, is certainly going to be key there. And also... Uh, again, to reiterate, Eupati's not a lock to resign. Sure. So if he's not a lock to resign, then you you probably have your left guard replacement there with, with uh, Finney. 
definitely something to watch. And you ha- you do have a, a few options there at the guard spot. They still have the draft coming up. Uh, center could be one of those spots where they could look early and, and potentially even find a starter in the first and second round. So we will be watching the offensive line throughout the offseason more. Uh, if you stay along the line, some news just in the last couple of days, Bruce Irvin back after playing in Carolina. And that was uh, and also along the defensive line, we had Quentin Jefferson, who was signed by the Bills on a two year, 13 and a half million dollar deal. I don't think I've seen the contract details for Irvin yet, but I can't imagine that it's it's terribly high. And he's coming off an eight and a half sack season with the Panthers. Yeah, I'm really happy Bruce Irvin is back and it's all Thanks to, to Alistair field goals because he's the one who who pushed for Bruce to come home. And yes, one Seattle fan who, who yes, the pushed one for Bruce. <laughs> yep. Uh, so, look, Irvin, if nothing else, he's a consistent pass rusher. Outside of the 2013 season in which he moved to linebacker and they had him in coverage quite a bit and he wasn't as important to a pass rushing threat, he's had at least five and a half sacks all of his other seasons in the league. And that includes 2018, I think, when he split time between Oakland and Atlanta. And I'm wondering if he was just mailing it in for for some of those games in Oakland and then he got released and and off to Atlanta you went. But at Carolina, no, Carolina's defense overall was just not good, especially the run defense. But uh, in terms of sacks, I think they were near the top of the league, if not the top of the league. And Irvin finished with eight and a half, and that's a career high for him. He was only behind, uh, I think, K1 short for the team lead. So, you know, he's going to be a cheap option. I assume as a one-year deal. I don't know the terms yet, but one or two years at most and and not a whole lot of money. And he should be familiar with the Seahawks system. They're not going to ask him to do too much. I mean, he can still be a, an option as, as a coverage linebacker, but as a pure pass rusher, um, he's still got that speed. He has been He's been very durable. He's only missed a, like, four or five games in his career due to injury. So I think that this could work out. This is one of those those classic John Schneider moves, you know, not the reunion part of it, but just get somebody who's got, uh, you know, a, a proven track record on the cheap and the reward can be quite high. And in Irvin's case, he's certainly way more productive or has been way more productive than a lot of these recent Seahawks pass rushers that we've seen over the last couple of years outside of the usual suspects and certainly better than pretty much everybody on the 2019 team. When you look around and you see what's happening in terms of pass rushers, a lot of them getting snatched up there. There's not too many left that I, that I think are, you know, of the, the top ranked type guys. Uh, I suppose you look at uh, the former Vikings pass rusher, Everson Griffin. He's one of the few guys along with Clowney who you wouldn't have to go out and make a trade for. But why do you suppose that it's taking quite this long for Jadevian Clowney if uh, with so many other guys already off the market? Well, it looks like and just based on what uh, the, the reporters have been saying, like Ian Rappaport, I believe, or Mike Garofalo, I can't remember who said it specifically that Clowney may not have gotten the uh, game breaking money that he's hoping for, that, that that type of market is not really there for him. He, he seemingly wants Khalil Mack, Aaron Donald type money. And look, Clowney was productive for Seattle. If you want to go into the advanced metrics, the the, um, the pass rush win rate, how often he was being double teamed because he was that sort of disruptor. But three sacks is three sacks, and a lot of teams are going to be scared off by that and the fact that he was, he, he was injured for much of last season. Mm-hmm. So to get Khalil Mack money and then have a three-sack season, which is the fewest he's had in, in several years, I think that had to have driven his, his market price down. Certainly, he's not going to get DeForest Buckner money because Buckner got traded to Indy 
for a first round pick, a mid first round pick essentially, because the Colts missed the playoffs. Yeah, and they gave him a, a, a contract extension worth twenty one million per year. So, yeah, you might have uh, overestimated the the interest in Clowney. And the other thing is, you probably got to admit he is not a, a pure pass rusher in, in the classical sense that he's going to get you, you know, a, a high number of sacks per season. Now, sacks are not the the, the end all be all, but they are still pretty important. Um, so maybe it works in Seattle's favor that they still re-sign him at a cheaper uh, rate than uh, has been projected. But I would have expected uh, a little more talk about which team would sign Cloudy. Right now, it's just been he could stay with the Seahawks, and then there have been a couple of, of rumors of him going to the Titans. But beyond that, uh, I didn't think it would be this quiet a market. Now, I didn't expect him to go off the board quickly like Robert Quinn or, or, or um, some of the other pass rushers who were on the market. But uh, it's looking like we're going to go into the weekend without a decision. And uh, if he stays with Seattle, fine. But if not, I think Everson Griffin would be a pretty good uh, replacement for him. And you have a a much more promising line with Irvin, Everson Griffin on the outside. And you have um, Jaron Reed and Puna Ford in the interior. I like Bruce Irvin as an addition. But Mm -hmm. uh, pairing him even with Clowney or Griffin, I still expected more, I think. Just... And here in listening to John Schneider and Pete Carroll and talk about how much they wanted to focus on the defensive line. And yes, they brought back Jaron Reed, but I do feel like they're missing an additional guy inside of the defensive tackle position. They haven't addressed that quite yet. Uh, Clowney, um, I, I, I just felt like, you know, pairing Clowney with a guy like Irvin and Michael Bennett, you know, one of the older guys, in addition to bringing in somebody like Griffin that would really feel a lot more like they were addressing the position as great of a need as it was last year. Yeah. And and look, if they don't do anything unknown free agency with this pass rush, that's a bit disappointing and a little worrisome. And then you're going to assume they're going to have to sell out in the draft to do that because I don't expect them to make a play for Ngakwe. And I'm not totally comfortable with the idea of giving up a first round pick in all likelihood to, Mm -hmm. to get him. Um, So we look at at the state of the Seahawks pass rush and you're, you're kind of hoping that Irvin is still not like your number two option. I don't, I don't think it, want, it has to get to that point. You still need a couple of other pass rushers. And yeah, you bring up the interior. I think the interior pass rush really needs to get going. And I love Puna Four, but so far he's not shown anything to suggest he's, he's going to be a great interior pass rusher. Um, Jaron Reed had a down year last year with the suspension and then just not really being effective uh, as a pass rusher when he did play. So we'll see if having a good edge rusher can also open up the door for him to be uh, return to his 2018 form. There, there's still a lot of question marks at the defensive line. It is early, and um, and you look at the depth, like LJ Collier did virtually nothing in mm-hmm. his rookie season. There, The hope that we could have out of the current Seahawks roster is that Rasheem Green starts to break out in 2020 because we, we, we saw glimpses of, him looking really, really good in, in 2019. And if that continues, then, you know, that's a, a major win for Seattle, but you can't rely on that. Seattle really needs as much talent as it can get for as long as this window of contention is open. And it starts with the pass rush at this point, because this is undeniably the biggest uh, need for improvement for the Seahawks. Well, one area that they may be looking to improve in the off season is at running back. And that's a spot that I want to talk about Mookie coming up after the break. Joined by Mookie Alexander, managing editor at fieldgoals.com, and we are talking about Seahawks free agency. 
also looking around the NFC West. And there's been some interesting news just on Thursday as uh, the Rams. Uh, it's It's been a tough day for the Rams, which I know as Seahawks fans, we really enjoy because uh, between Todd Gurley and some news about Jared Goff, oh, what's better for you, Mookie, as, as a Seahawks fan? The idea of Todd Gurley being released by the Rams and L.A. still having to carry a $20 million cap hit for 2020 or Jared Goff getting his $21 million roster bonus paid and uh, $43 million of his future salary guaranteed and along with a bonus. And so the Rams having to carry now a $94 million dead cap for 2020 for Jared Goff. Oh, it's got to be Goff because the Goff signing in, in parts is why that why they have uh, they have to make these moves. Yeah. Which is to say, Gurley's gone. Cooks might be gone. They cut Roby Coleman. They cut Clay Matthews. This is a very different looking Rams roster now. And oh yeah, I think they still have to pay Jalen Ramsey too. So it, uh, the, the big spending spree and all the contracts that they signed, it, it was always going to lead to you have a short window of contention. And last year they end up missing the playoffs. Now for Gurley, on one hand, it feels surprising that somebody who's 25 years old and was what two seasons or three seasons removed from winning offensive player of the year is already a free agent. On the other hand, it's not surprising when you consider the question marks surrounding his left knee and the fact that he was genuinely ineffective for a lot of 2019s. Like, ignore the touchdowns. I know he scored 12, but yards per carry, DVOA, DYAR, they were all some of the worst of his career, at least the worst since the 2016 season, which was Jeff Fisher's last year. So 2019 was at least the worst of the McVay era, at which the Rams clearly had a much better offense than anything that they had under Jeff Fisher. So where Gurley ends up, I don't know. Maybe he goes to, well, probably not Atlanta because they're in a messy cap situation, but certainly there have been rumblings that the Seahawks could go after him. And only if he is really, really, really cheap, because I think (laughs) the Rams are, of course, still paying, uh, you know, seven million, I think this year, seven million salaries. So, yeah, if if it comes to that, then, yeah, maybe you can kick the tires and see what he has left. But for, for the Rams in general, the Jared Goff contract, could go down as the moment that turns the uh, the franchise back into being the uh, the Lambs of yesteryear that do- that didn't win anything for the longest while. So if Goff doesn't get any better, then they'll have had the worst one of the worst quarterback contracts in a long time. Another move by the Rams that was just shocking to me: the idea that they gave Andrew Whitworth a three-year contract for a player who's thirty-eight years old, and I guess. I don't see too many offensive linemen, particularly left tackles, playing until into their 40s. Yeah, like I sincerely doubt he's going to see out that three-year contract. So that better, those details better be very like one-year heavy. Yeah, uh, because anything beyond that, and it's very possible that he could look totally washed up by this season. When players get old, they get old fast. It doesn't. There's a lot of the times it's not a gradual decline; it is sudden. So for for the Rams, like they're not in total blow it up mode. It just feels like it because of all the names that we're seeing uh, depart from this from this team. And I didn't even mention that they didn't re-sign Dante Fowler. He went to Atlanta. So, right. I mean, what is their biggest off-season move in terms of, of incoming talent? I think it must be uh, Leonard Floyd. Mm-hmm. And, and that's and that's, it, that's a pretty big question mark in terms of what his effectiveness could be. And uh, I guess having Aaron Donald on the defensive line, it always helps other players and uh, and their statistics. So, could be helpful for Floyd, but gosh, the the Rams, there's just so many things that make you look at and, and wonder if they're 
due for even more of a downturn this upcoming season. Uh, talking about Whitworth, I think you probably saw that same graphic that was going around that showed uh, the production of Brandon Shell. And along along that same graphic was Andrew Whitworth getting the most help of just about any other tackle. The idea that at 37 with the Rams that he was getting a lot of help and still showing his age, obviously, it could be a tough year for Jared Goff with uh, the offensive line that he has in front of him. Oh, yeah. It, uh, that offense, not now, of course, most teams with a great offensive line will enjoy a pretty good offense, provided they have an actual good quarterback. With Goff, he's a perfectly acceptable starting quarterback, but he needs a lot of things to go his way, essentially. The year so they went if, to the Super Bowl, they had an yeah. outstanding offensive line in front of him. Yeah, and then look at what happened last year. The offensive line, not nearly as good. I think it did get better towards the end of the season, but they also didn't have that continuity. They also had incredible health for the first two seasons of, of Goff and McVay, of which it, it looked like their offensive linemen were indestructible. Now they've proven to be quite destructible. There's going to be a lot of interchangeability and, and a lot of r- roster shuffling along that, that line and just n- aging in the case of Whitworth. So if that offensive line starts to show even more cracks and it ends up being a case where the play action stops working effectively and you can't really, uh, you can't really move Goff around too much because he's not the most mobile quarterback. He's not immobile. He's not you know, Joe Flacco, but um, he, he really reacts poorly to pressure. And we've seen the stats that whenever he is pressured, he is demonstrably one of the worst quarterbacks in the league. So, um, of course, we're, we're talking several months, months from now if we do have a season. But the, the, there's a lot to worry about if you're the Rams. And, like, we, we could be seeing a – not a changing of the guard in the NFC West, but, like, a, a changing of the order in a way that Arizona looks to be a, a team on the rise. They've got this rookie of the year quarterback. They just got DeAndre Hopkins for nothing thanks to, to Houston's stupid management. I uh. mean, Bill O'Brien. And, of course, the Seahawks are still there, and then the 49ers are going to have pretty much their entire defense from last season into this season, except DeForest Buckner. So we could be looking at San Francisco, Seattle, and Arizona competing uh, for playoff positioning next season, while the Rams could be heading back to the cellar, unless Sean McVay has something conjured up and Les Snead uh, can make some magic happen with his, with his wheelings and dealings over the next few months. Yeah, and Ian Rappaport reporting that Todd Gurley uh, he names a couple of places for Gurley to go. And you mentioned the Falcons, uh, the Bucks being another one of those teams and the Seahawks announced among them. You, you talked about the money aspect to it. Uh, Alistair Corp, our colleague at field goals, he says, I mean, Rashad Penny will probably miss the first six weeks. So it won't be the same upon first returning Chris Carson, hardly been a picture of perfect health. Travis Homer should remain in passing down role and Todd Gurley probably looking for 3 million or less. I don't see a problem. Well, well you know what? Yeah, if, if it's going to be that low of a total, then yeah, Seattle needs a running back. Not, not like desperately needs, but we're going to have to face the facts that Penny's not going to start the season. And then Chris Carson has been on IR, you know, three of the four seasons that he's played, uh, two, or rather two of the three seasons that he's played. And he's also had injury history dating back to, to college. So, you know, his durability is very much a question mark. They're not going to keep processing it. If they do, I'd be shocked. And then you bring up Travis Homer, and I like Travis Homer, but he's probably best suited as a third down back at best, and not really somebody who's going to get the ball 15 or 20 times. So um, they, they are going to have to explore the running back market, but go, don't break the bank for one. Like so a, a one-year stopgap is perfectly fine, or a late-round draft pick, uh, if, even like somewhere in the fourth or fifth round, I don't consider super late, but 
it'll be interesting if they do sign Gurley because Seahawks Twitter has got a, an interesting relationship with Gurley. They get, well, the offensive line is what made him good. Uh, running behind Seattle's offensive line is normally a very different story given uh, the yards after contact statistics right. compared to the yards before contact. And if Gurley looks cooked, regardless of where he goes, then uh, one would say the Rams made the right call to release him. And then the other part is they made a terrible call to give him that $60 million contract extension. Because look at all that dead cap money. Uh, but uh, whoever takes them on, you know, it's it's low cost and potentially high reward for somebody who uh, has certainly been quite productive throughout his career. You know, if, you know, for most of his career, there were a couple of seasons that were definitely down years, but mm-hmm. he's not a scrub running back by any means. Yeah, but you don't want to make a mistake, too, of what like what the Seahawks have done in the past, carrying CJ Procise and having to let go guys that ultimately go on to to have some success in other places, too. So. Uh, that I can see that being a concern for Seahawks fans. Now, one thing that I think a lot of Seahawks fans are fired up about, fan favorite, Luke Wilson, back with the Seahawks. Yeah, I don't want to burst anybody's bubble there, but there's really not a 100% guarantee that Luke is going to see it through September because you look at the tight end position, they gave Hollister, what, a second-round tender? Uh-huh. And then you have Greg Olson and Will Disley. It looks like Disley should be back for the season, so... They're either going to keep four tight ends, which that's not something we see too often. Maybe Luke Wilson just goes as an H-back. But beyond that, it's going to be hard to see him on the roster unless they want to keep a surplus of tight ends. Now, Ed Dixon, I think, is a no-brainer. There's no way that they should keep him. Uh, Not a very good uh, good time in Seattle. Spent most of it injured. But he is popular. I mean, the fans love him. And the traffic for just on Facebook when when it was announced that Luke Wilson was going to resign was (laughs) certainly higher than I expected. But, um, you know, if he does make the team, then then good for him because he's been he's part of some of the most memorable plays in Seahawks history. Certainly the NFC championship game would be one of them. Uh, but you, know, it, it, you can't have enough tight end depth at this point, given Olsen's injury history and Disley's injury history for sure. So it, it leaves you with essentially one healthy tight end going into next season. That'd be Hollister. So, yeah, Wilson, you get four uh, heading into training camp. And I certainly would not be surprised if they go draft a tight end uh, as well, because look, Olsen is on the downside of his career. You've got to be thinking long-term. Sure. And, uh, you know, I-, I would love for the Seahawks to utilize tight ends a lot better than, than they have in previous seasons. 2019 was certainly a step in the right direction. Well, Mookie, before we get on out of here, out of everything that you've seen kind of through these past few days of free agency, uh, let's leave out the, the deal that Arizona made for DeAndre Hopkins. Are there any deals that you saw out there that you wish that the Seahawks would have been in on? Hmm, interesting. I would have actually liked Bulaga over uh, Brandon Shell at three years and 30 million. Linval Joseph for, for the Chargers, that would have also been cool. Uh, the Chargers have been very active in free agency on the defensive side of the ball, at least with Joseph and, uh, and also signing, uh, uh, what's his name, Chris Harris hmm. from the Broncos. But th- th- there aren't too many uh, sightings out there where I thought, yeah, this, the Seahawks really could have could have done something here um, to, to, to get get after that specific player. But it, obviously, any any team would have gladly wanted a 43-year-old Tom Brady at $30 million. But <laughs> I, I think we are safe with Russell Wilson for the time being. Yeah, yeah, we're doing all right with Russell Wilson. I, for me, I think the one deal that I look at was the Broncos getting Jarrell Casey from Tennessee for a seventh-round pick. Oh, I think, gosh, I, that's a very underreported move. I could, I barely saw it on the NFL transactions. Oh, my like, God. I had to dig deep into the Twitter search <laughs> to find out that happened. Yeah. Yeah. The fact that John Schneider couldn't have given up a six round pick and the fact that Casey's 
making like $11 million a year over the next couple of years. I, I feel like they really could have used that interior help on the defensive line. Oh, certainly so. And well, they, hopefully they do get a late, an additional late round pick uh, if they do end up trading Tedrick Thompson. It would be a massive win for the Seahawks <laughs> if they got anything for Tedrick. That would be a huge win. They're, they're, Mookie, come on. Let's not give up hope to, to any Seahawks fan that the, the Seahawks are getting anything for Tedrick Thompson. Well, well, you know, with Bill O'Brien at the other end of the line, we could end up with J.J. Watt by the weekend. I, you know what? J.J. Watt for Tedrick Thompson. Yeah, it, for straight up. I think uh, I think he'd go for that deal. Yeah, I think he, he as long as John Schneider can just like trick him into thinking that he's getting like Earl Thomas again. <laughs> Mookie Alexander, managing editor of FieldGoals.com. Mookie, you got anything you're working on for the website here coming up in the next few days? Uh, we'll, we'll still be covering free agency, but, uh, definitely gonna, especially since we don't have any football to cover the next several months, it's our natural off season, but, uh, I've got some classic, uh, enemy reactions to do. And uh, I'm thinking that the first one I'll do for this off season is the 2012 win over the Chicago bears. It's a remastered version essentially, because mm. the one I did previously only had the good plays, but I just watched the full game last Sunday, uh, just out of boredom because we don't have any sports at the moment, but uh, that that was essentially the game that that kickstarted this incredible run of Seahawks football. Absolutely. Because if they had lost it, they probably would have missed the playoffs. Um, so yeah, I, I think that's well deserving of the enemy reaction uh, throwback treatment because that was the 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 kickstarter for not just the Seahawks era as we know it, but also Russell Wilson as his future superstar uh, quarterback. Definitely looking forward to that. And with the NFL giving away free access to Game Pass. Uh, something that all fans should look up and go back and watch. Yeah, definitely uh, dig into the Jim Morris season. And then after you watch <laughs> all 16 of those games, re- you know, it, it gives you a little bit more perspective about, how, uh, you know, some of our complaints about the Pete Carroll era. Absolutely. Mookie, really appreciate you coming on, breaking down some of this early free agency. And uh, we will look for more soon coming up at fieldgoals.com. Thanks a lot. Go Hawks. Thanks once again to Mookie Alexander for coming on the show. Be sure and subscribe to the podcast at sbnation.com slash NFL podcasts. Check out everything that's going on up at fieldgoals.com throughout free agency. And if you're looking for more Seahawks audio content, you can check out my latest episode with Adam Seahawkerspodcast.com. That'll be coming out on Friday. Thanks for tuning in. More to come. Hopefully we'll be getting some big news regarding some free agent signings coming up soon. Until then, Go Hawks!